Father, thank you for this morning. Um, I thank you for this Sunday, Lord. I thank you for the anticipation, Lord, the rejoicing that comes on this third Sunday of Advent. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds by way of your spirit as we open your scripture. Jesus, we need you. We long to hear from you. Amen. Um, Raise your hand if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia. Pretty good. Okay. If you did not raise your hand, please take out your phone and go on to that uh, website that Leslie mentioned. It starts with an A, ends with a Zon. And please buy the whole set. It will change your life forever. So for those of you that have read the Chronicles of Narnia, I want to draw your remembrance to that dear, dear two-foot mouse, the valiant Reepy Cheep, the leader of the talking mice of Narnia. In the book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Reepy Cheep's heart and his very soul is set towards the east. He longs for Aslan's country. As he says to Queen Lucy after she asks him, uh, this is on the boat, of course, if Aslan's country can even be sailed to, he says this, I do not know, madam, but there is this. When I was in my cradle, a woodwoman, a dryad, spoke this verse over me. Where sky and water meet, where the waves grow sweet. Doubt not, reapy cheap, to find all that you seek, there is the utter east. Reepy Cheep goes on this grand adventure, not knowing exactly how it will turn out, but for the hope of being in Aslan's country. This prophecy that bid him to go, and he knows that once he gets there, all will be be right, because that is where Aslan will be. And throughout their journey, Reepy Cheep's hope for the joy set before him is palpable, Knowing where he is going helps him through all manner of maritime adversities. This is the third Sunday of Advent. It's also known as Gaudette Sunday or Rose Sunday. You see the rose candle. Uh, This term is derived from the Latin opening words of the introit antiphon. Rejoice or Gaudette in the Lord always. Now, the theme of this day expresses the joy of anticipation at the approach of the Christmas celebration. And despite otherwise the otherwise somber readings of the season of Advent, the readings on this day, the third Sunday, they emphasize the joyous anticipation of the Lord's coming. Um, I want to give you some great news. This will be the shortest sermon that I will ever preach in the history of my ministry, I think. Um, From our lectionary readings this morning, we heard from Isaiah 65, where it described a future with new heavens and a new earth. There was joy and there was rejoicing. There was gladness. No more weeping or cries of distress. Work would even be fruitful like it was in the garden. Wolves and lambs grazing together. There was even vegetarian lions. Then in Psalm 126, we hear of this joyful restoration of fortunes. The context is that it's a psalm of ascent. So think of pilgrims on their way up to Jerusalem. 
They're, say, they're saying this, they're singing it together, and they're retelling the story of how God was faithful to them. And it says they were like those who dreamed. It was this dreamlike state. But they're also asking for God to act again. They're looking back in the past and saying, God has been faithful here. Lord, would you do it again? Would you restore all that was lost? Then we heard from John the Baptist's ministry in John 1. John, being the forerunner of the Messiah, if you know his story, you know that he became wildly popular. People from all over the country came uh, repenting, wanting to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. And for us, on this side of his life, we know that John was very special. We know that his dad, Zacharias, was told by the angel Gabriel that his son would be named John and that John would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. But in our passage this morning, John doesn't seem to know just how important his calling was. He doesn't think he's the prophet he doesn't believe that he's uh, walking in the, the energy or the spirit of Elijah. He knows he's not the Christ. He just knows to be obedient to the calling on his life. And in his looking forward to this Christ, he confess, confesses, I baptize with water, but among you stands someone whose sandals I'm unfit to even untie. Then a few chapters later in John 3, it says this, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He, the Christ, must increase, and I must decrease. So John knew to preach. He knew to baptize. He knew to have dreads and eat bugs out in the wilderness. And his obedience led him to being the forerunner of the one who would usher in all those things that Isaiah 65 and Psalm 126 was looking forward to. Then in our lectionary reading, we came to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, and we get this really great summary of what life lived under the lordship of Christ and submission to the Bible looks like. But what does all that have to do with the second coming of Christ? There's a question I had this week when I looked at all the passages together in the lectionary. I was like, why, why is this one in here? When we back up to the beginning of chapter 5, we see the first 11 verses, and Paul is encouraging the believers there to stay alert as they wait. Verse 2, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And then we get to our passage, and he's saying, and in your waiting for this second arrival of Christ, remember, remember to honor your leaders in the faith. In your waiting, be at peace amongst yourselves in the church. As you're waiting for the second arrival, admonish the idle. As you're waiting, encourage the faint-hearted. 
and help the weak. In your waiting, be patient with all. In your waiting, don't repay evil. Instead, seek to do good to all. In your waiting, Godette, rejoice always. In your waiting, pray all the time. In your waiting, be grateful. In your waiting, do not quench the spirit. In your waiting, do not despise prophecies. Instead, test them. And in your waiting, hold fast to what is good. And lastly, as you wait, don't do evil stuff. Paul was telling the Thessalonians to lean in. Verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Many commands, many admonishments in chapter 5, but it's what he writes in verse 24 that will get them through. And this is, I think, the glue between all of our passages this morning. It says this, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. John's life, John the Baptist, that is, Point of clarification, if you will. <laughs> John the Baptist's life wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. He faced adversity from the religious establishment. He was imprisoned. Uh, that one unfortunate event happened to him. But verse 24, the one who called him was faithful. Similarly, when the pilgrims uh, sang Psalm 126, they were both looking forward and backward they were looking and remembering at God's faithfulness in the past as well as hoping for this restoration in the future. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The Christian life will have difficulties. There will be traps and enemies as we sail along towards our true home. But we must not lose heart for he who calls you is faithful. This is what Reapy Cheap knew, this is what Paul knew, and this is what we have to hold on to, the joy before us. And as I said a few weeks ago, um, we are those blessed ones that live after most of the messianic prophecies have come to fruition, but not all of them yet. And so, we blessed ones, we wait for the full redemption when Jesus will arrive in clouds with great power and glory when he sends out his angels to gather his elect from the four corners, the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. This cosmic view is what we get in Advent, the second arrival. But a few weeks ago, I also admitted the reality that we were going to be going to Christmas parties. We're gonna get caught up in commercialism. Uh, we're going to buy a bunch of gifts. We're going to watch a bunch of Christmas movies. But I also invited us as a community to find a rhythm by which we could slow down. To get quiet and to consider the future. So check in. How's it going? 
Have you been able to get quiet? Have you been able to find time, or rather make the time? Have you slowed down? Have you pondered your future? Right, because it's cosmic and it's, it's like Hollywood can't even do justice to it. And in your consideration, if you haven't gotten there yet, you've got some time still. What does pondering your future do for the way that you live your life today? What does considering Christ's second arrival, what does that do to the way that you make decisions today? The lowercase reality, lowercase r reality, I'm sorry, is that life is difficult. There is great darkness over the land, as Jesus said in John 3, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So that's, that's the reality that we can see. It's the reality that we know and that we experience when we turn on the news, when we read the paper, if you still have a paper. People love darkness. But on this Gaudette Sunday, let us remember what the light of the world has done for us. Also in John 3, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Uh, I was reading uh, N.T. Wright this week, and um, I wanted to share this brief quote from him. Uh, about these passages. Like John the Baptist, so preoccupied with what and who was coming, that all he could do was point away from himself and towards God's future. We, like John, he says, are to pray and to dance and to be holy, for tomorrow we live. Isn't that awesome? For tomorrow we live. Today we live and tomorrow we live, and yet there's deep darkness all around us. I would encourage us one more time. Find some time, make some time, get slow, consider your future. Because tomorrow you live. Tomorrow you get to be like John the Baptist and point people to the king. In the way that you go to the gym, the way that you go to work, the way that you rake your leaves, you have opportunity after opportunity to point people to the one true king. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the Holy Scripture. Lord, I thank you that in these pages, we find you. We find the light of the world. We find salvation. Lord, would you help us as a people to slow down this week? Lord, to remember, to consider our future. 
and in deep gratitude, Lord, for what you've done for us that we would then seek to live for you. Jesus, we ask that you would move in us individually and in us corporately. Lord, would you open our eyes that we might see what's really true, what's most true. God, thank you for coming into this dark world. Thank you for expelling it. Thank you for walking with us as we go through it by way of your Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.